again. Yeah, it's good to see everyone here today. So I just want to—I want to pray before we begin again. Um, I know I usually do it after I read, but I just want to pray to open us again. So if you would join me in prayer, Father, um, we confess that uh, we are sinful and not uh, not at all worthy of of your love and your sacrifice for us, Father. Um, as I, as I speak this morning, um, let it not be my words, um, but your words that are spoken. And um, Lord, may I do justice to, uh, to Christ. And I ask that uh, you help everyone here to see, um, see his, his beauty and his glory, um, if only a little bit, uh, through the words that are spoken now. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, um, so this morning we're going to finish up in uh, chapter 1 of Philippians. Can everyone hear me okay? Good? Okay. So two weeks ago we studied verses, uh, let's see, 18 through 26, and today we're going to go through verses um, 27 through 30, and this is the end of the chapter. And uh, we needed to do this, these, these verses at the end, in the context of the rest of the first chapter, so I'm just going to review just a hair. Um, not too much. And you'll see that the reason... Um, for this is that we really need to focus. We start. We're starting to focus on the, like the nuts and the bolts, right, of the Christian life. So we went from, you know, the, the greeting and and what Paul talks about. He's going through, and then we're starting to get to more of the instructive um, area of the letter. Um, and we do this, you know, in light of the joy also that that he speaks of in the beginning of the chapter. So in case you've missed some previous times, I think a lot of people have been here. Um, this joy comes from the eternal salvation that he has. And you should have also. If you're truly, if you've truly repented and believe in Jesus' perfect atonement for your sin. That's where this joy comes from that we're speaking of. And so here Paul starts to turn his attention toward a more instructive tone in order to address the believer's life in Christ. And we'll see this again in chapter 2. Um, and in chapter 2, he starts to address unity in the church, although he speaks of it a little bit here as well. So this instruction is always in the context of obedience out of joy and what God has done for us, as I said already. So he's done it mercifully, gracefully, and he's redeeming his people through Christ Jesus. So with that, let's read our text for today. So if you would stand with me, and we're going to finish up in chapter 1. So this is, again, uh, verses 27 through 30. So starting in verse 27, Philippians chapter 1. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. You can be seated. Okay, so where I'd like to begin today is to talk through, like I said, initially the context for these verses that we just read. So they're kind of the rest of the chapter, right? So in this letter to the Philippian church, uh, Paul starts with a greeting and what amounts to a prayer of thanksgiving. 
for the believers in this local church, the church of Philippi. However, many were there, and what kinds of numbers of buildings, right, they were meeting in, we don't know, probably their houses, maybe one, maybe more. So in this process, he begins to remind them of the benefits they have in their relationship with Christ and what it means to be in Christ. Remember, we looked at that like a long time ago, a few sermons ago, in Christ. And he's doing this as he tells them, that he, he's, he also tells them he is partaker as well with them, and his joy in writing spills over, right? So a couple of examples that we studied. First, verse 6, if you want to go back there, chapter 1. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So here he's speaking of continuous and increasing sanctification through the Holy Spirit and final glorification of the believer when they are with Christ at and after the final judgment. So now realize these are benefits that fully devoted followers or believers in Jesus are also share, right? So he's talking about unity together with himself. So second in verse 7, this is at the end of the verse in verse 7. You all are partakers of grace with me. So how is this a benefit in Christ? All of you know what grace means, right? It means unmerited favor. And this is the grace of salvation in which the believer is turned by God from being dead in their sin against the very same holy God, as Ephesians 2, 1 says. So in that third, verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This righteousness is that of Christ imputed to and placed over or in the believer because of his perfect sacrifice for us. This righteousness through Christ that we, sh- we have should, should cause us to be filled with joy, and this joy bearing fruit in the form of good works, like John taught from James last week. And we also see listed in Galatians chapter 5. And these are contra- contrasted with the works of the flesh in Galatians. And that's in, cha- in uh, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Remember, we're talking about overcoming the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you will not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, and disputes, dissensions, factions, or cliques maybe, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So fourth, verse 19 and verse 23. This is the deliverance from God's wrath and simultaneously the joy of being with Christ. And we reviewed these two weeks ago. And I think um, even if you weren't here, the benefits can go without a lot of explanation. So what I want you to see here is that basically we've reviewed the gospel of Christ, these four, these four points. And there's, there's probably a little bit more we could go into, but so he's walking through this. So when we move into verse 27 now, and Paul says to them, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, we've basically already been told that the value 
that we're trying in a, you know, in a way to match with our lives. Although we can never really do it, or we can never repay this value that's been, that's been given to us. Um, you know, we're, that's what we're trying to do. So we, we've, we've gone from hearing the value of the gospel to saying, live in a way that's, that's worthy of this value, right? Does that make sense, everybody? So in Colossians chapter 1, we find similar and more compact statement about Christ. So listen to this, starting in verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is talking about Christ. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated, this is the gospel, and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which Paul, which I, Paul, was made a minister. This is the gospel. It's beautiful. So then I want to use Colossians again to hear how we are to live and, and to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. So turn over to uh, Colossians chapter 3. And again, I'm just going to read, and for those of you who were at our house on Wednesday this past week, I read the same passage there. I was studying, so that was kind of like, you know, on my mind then. So verse 3, Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This goes out a lot of explanation. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. This is the hope that we have. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked, when you were living in them, But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised, and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So this is speaking to the believer. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, 
kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should. So should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with faithfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so before we move along any further, you know, I'm standing here and we're sitting here, um, and we need to examine our lives in the context of these verses. So are you living in this way? Are you living in a way that's worthy of the gospel? Do you dwell on the word of, the, on the word of Christ? Are you thankful for the redemption and mercy you continuously experience through him? Or do you dwell on earthly things that moth and rust will destroy? Continually dissatisfied with either your looks or your possessions or anything that might be surrounding you? Do you talk with one another with edifying and graceful speech that is worthy of the gospel of Christ and worthy of the price that's been paid for you? Or do you continue to slander one another with abusive speech from your mouth? So please understand that these are believers that Paul's addressing. And this is the church. So what about those who are not? So if you have not believed solely in the work of Christ to save you from the wrath of an almighty and holy God, why do you delay today? Don't you know that death will come as a thief? You do not know the time or the place that your life will be required of you. And that time is coming quickly. And after that, there will be judgment. And your good works, if you're counting on them, Isaiah says there are filthy rags when it comes to the reason that God would find you righteous on the day of judgment. How then will you be saved? So Ephesians 2.8 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Faith alone in your justification or right standing with God through the shed blood of a perfect and spotless sacrifice who is Christ Jesus is all that can save you. And this faith, it says, is is a perfect gift of God. So you must first realize you're in, in need of a Savior and then cry out to God in prayer who will be found faithful to save. And so when we look again at our passage in Philippians, starting in verse 27 again, this is the way, and and, there are many other examples we could look at, but this is the way in which we are to live. So then he says that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is speaking of unity combined with the struggle of Christian life. And both, as we'll see in a minute, he expands on. So we've already seen that in verse 20, this very chapter, what's on Paul's mind as he sits in confinement is his, his, you know, he's thinking about his appearance before Caesar. And remember what he says. He says that he hopes that he will be able to exalt Christ in boldness and not be put to shame. So what he's saying in verse 27 is that he hopes that they will join him in unity 
with boldness or standing firm and striving together with each other and with him for the faith of the gospel. And so some examples of similar language by Paul and other apostles used here. Um, Jude, verse 3. There's only one chapter, Jude, if you didn't know that. Uh, Verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our, our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you appealing that you can con- appealing that you content contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2. So again look at the the unity that he's talking about in the salvation. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place, right? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. He's talking, he's, just, he's trying to bring the church and everyone together under the same, the same instruction. Ephesians chapter 5, so again this is Paul, verse 20 and 21. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So do you see that when the apostles address the churches, and the way we should view each other is that we're essentially one team, right? Everybody's one team, striving together with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus as their Lord. And so together we're striving for the faith of the gospel. And the same word for striving in Greek is used in Philippians 4, 3, chapter 4, verse 3. And it helps to get some additional perspective if you want to turn there. So Philippians 4, uh, verse 3. So indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So there's that word struggle, in the cause of the gospel. So the same word here, the same uh, Greek word, is translated as struggle. And so we have striving or struggling for the faith, and um, I think it, it'll help you understand. So I'm going to read some antonyms so everybody know what antonym is. It's a word that has the opposite meaning um, for striving or struggling, okay? So I think it gives some weight to what Paul's saying. And you might find some of these kind of silly or whatever like that, but I think it, it'll help us understand. So these are the antonyms. Um, and this is how we're, to, we're not to view the Christian faith, right? So replace, so we, if we look at, so we have, you know, struggle in the cause of the gospel or struggle for the faith. So replace that with these, okay, and see how ridiculous this sounds. Break, ease up, let up, slacken, bum, chill, dilly-dally, goof off, hack around, hang out, idle, laze, loaf, lounge, shirk, slack off, so many other ones, right? Monkey around. So those are, those are antonyms of what, how we're to treat the gospel. Do you understand? How we're to live our lives in light of the sacrifice of Christ. So, right, you, you probably giggle. I saw some of you giggling to yourself. But you, you understand what I'm getting at, right? It's that the Christian life and, the, and faith is not something that is easy. right? It's not meant to be a vacation. It's, we're meant to struggle. Listen to Paul again in, in 2 Corinthians. And I'm sorry I'm quoting so much scripture here. It's like the whole sermon. I'm just reading the Bible. But... 
I want you to see that the concept of the Christian struggle and unity is everywhere here, right? It was, it was just keep coming out as I was reading. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 24, if you want to turn there. And the context of this is a correction of the church, but it's a very concise statement, and Paul's talking about himself, right? This is his, his struggle. Okay, verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, and have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, which is the Jews, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. Right? He spoke of that before. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So he's just saying, right, he's giving up everything for the cause of Christ. So do you see this? Do you see this striving for the faith of the gospel? And as Paul finishes in Philippians 1.25, he says that he's convinced that he will remain and continue with all of you, so he's talking about the Philippian church, for your progress and joy in the faith. So in verse 27, where we're studying today, he wants to see the progress and hear of their great unity and their struggle in that same faith, whether he comes to see them again, whether he's released from prison, right? Or hears about their great striving from others. And so again, I ask you this morning, are you striving or are you struggling in your faith or for your faith? And I don't mean doubting or dealing with unbelief. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean the same thing that Paul is talking about. Are you living a life that's uncomfortable? Not in a grueling way for you, but with joy for your great Savior, which is Christ. Or are you kicking back, right, as we read in the antonyms, and relaxing, not really knowing him day by day more and more? Do you know his word better by day by day? Do you strive to love him more? And do you long to be free from sin? Do you long to be free just one day from sin and be with Christ? So I'm going to give you an example from my own life. And just these words maybe get confusing here, but I don't want you to misunderstand me, so listen to what I'm saying pretty carefully. So this is an example, which means the outcome is not regulative for everyone. So when Beth and I decided to give God control of our family size, which I, I believe there's scriptural basis for, so I think that scripture is regulative in this area. So we weren't guaranteed a large family. So... And that's what I meant by our outcome is not regulative for everyone. I mean, everybody has to do that. Um, And so to put more simply, it's not the number of children. It's how you view them. But as our number of children has increased, it's really caused me to examine, just from a human cost, to myself and to Bethel, um, whether the effort is worth the cost, if it makes sense. Not like I don't love my children, but it's just, you know. So doing just regular stuff, like making sure everyone is eating, bathing, getting dressed, right? is a ton of effort. So there are nights when I'm brushing four to five sets of teeth, right? Can you imagine? 
not just your own. Like, gotta line them up and keep going. You know, machine or something like that that just goes back and forth, right? Yeah, no, probably. I do. I just turn the other way. So there's days, you know, when I come home and there's ten diapers changed in the garage on the floor, right? By my wife, not me. So of course I love my children, and I'm glad that God God has given us each one of them. But do you know what keeps us going? It's not like we're trying to reach some some goal, a number of children or anything like that, right? It's that each one of them is fearfully and wonderfully made and has the ability to glorify God. And whether it's through their salvation of their souls, the praises that are being sung while they're sit, like sitting and playing just with Legos or whatever, there's so many other things, right, we could, we could talk about. And so it is with all of you and your children, I'm sure. So are you hearing what I'm saying? So whatever challenges or striving that you're doing in your faith, are you doing it with joy and a perspective that is to quote verse 27 again, worthy of the gospel of Christ? Do you have that attitude? So I don't, anyway, I don't know if that example is helpful or not, um, but, you know, so we spend so much, so much of our time doing, so um, it, it's always what comes to mind, you know? And um, so I just gave you an example from Paul, right? In, uh, where was that? Was it Corinthians? think. Um, and we can look at so many others, right? D- Daniel, David, all the prophets, basically, right? And of course, Jesus himself. Jesus, is, there's no better example than Christ on the cross. So now what I want to move, I want to move on to verse 28 through 30. Um, and again, I want you to remember that the context of these verses is boldness in Christ in the face of adversaries from verse 20 and 26. So 20 we did some other time, right? Um, and this is, you know, living solely for Christ in verse 21. Fruitful labor of the Christian faith from verse 22. Unity and the subservient life to one another and the gospel in verse 25 and 27. So in verse 28 and 29, there are a couple things I want to point out to you. So I'm going to read them again. So this is, again, Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. I know how skipping around, like, all the, the different books can get confusing, so I'm trying to slow it a little bit. So again, this is 28. In no way be alarmed, I'm going to add the B, in no way alarmed, and the, the ESV uses frightened in anything, okay, by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also, also to suffer for his sake. Now see a couple things here in relation to where we came from again. So first is that you're, it's your First is that you're in your eternal salvation. There is nothing to fear from earthly opposition. And to go along with that, a sovereign God who has ordained all things for the good of those who love him according to his purpose. And he has promised the following from 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And this is Paul talking about the persecution of the church in uh, Thessalonica and is applicable to believers everywhere, whether that's this country or anywhere. So again, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution 
to those who do not know God, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day, and to be marveled at among all who have believed. And so do you see the salvation of the elect and the judgment of the reprobate are linked? See that? For the persecution of your opponents or enemies is a sure sign of their destruction, for God has promised it. But through it you are refined and strengthened. So look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 8. And so this is Paul talking about the thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him from exalting himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power, and perf- for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what he's saying is that through persecution, God will, for sure will, with perfect righteousness, judge those who perform such acts, but do not fear. They have a purpose of refining and strengthening your faith in salvation that also comes from God. You see how these are, these are together. And so the second thing I want you to see in these verses is that persecution and salvation both are from God. So look at verse 29. This is Philippians 1 again. For to you has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. So wait a minute. It has been granted to believe and granted to suffer? So this Greek word used and translated to granted here, the word is, is uh, charizomai. And this means to give graciously one to another. So do you see this picture that's been painted for us? It's that nothing passes through God's fingertips. All things are for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? It is God's gracious gift to be persecuted and receive salvation from it or be turned toward salvation from it. There is no other way to read this In light of all I've explained to you, no other way. So we need to change our thinking. So God is the giver of faith or belief in Christ as well. You see, this concept of being dead and unable to believe by ourselves runs rampant through Scripture. So go back to Ephesians chapter 2. Again and again, we always use this one. So even when we were dead in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. A dead man cannot make himself alive again. So I quoted Romans 8.28. This is just the next verse. And that is God uses, God causes all things to work together for good who love him. To those who are called according to his purpose. And so what I want you to see is that the relationship between God's granting or the gift of belief or faith and then what comes next in Romans 8 and that is verse 29. For those he foreknew and he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So do you see how these are related, these verses, right? Not only 29, but also 28. The belief or the faith that God grants, which is required for salvation, the trials that he may grant you, bringing you to joy in your salvation, and predestining that he does before he calls a person to belief, at which point the person becomes alive again in Christ. So what's important about all this is that we understand from Scripture is who God is. There is no uncertainty with him. There is nothing that can frustrate his will. And what he pleases, he absolutely does. And so again, just like last week, what we need to learn, and I think we need to learn this well, is that in the pursuit of the Christian life, striving for the faith, as Paul says, be ready and be willing to be uncomfortable. Be ready and be willing to be injured or even perish for the cause of Christ. And so remember, we're concerned only as Paul is that Christ be honored, whether by life or by our death. That we live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the sacrifice that Christ has made. And just like in verse 30, we can take comfort as Paul instructs them, in knowing that there are others who have come before and after or experienced now persecution in the name of Jesus Christ. And they are strengthened to salvation by it, as the Bible says, and we studied today. We can take comfort in knowing that God has ordained all of these things, and that although difficult and, um, you know, circumstances that come, they're difficult to understand sometimes. We should continue to trust his true intention, which is to call, justify, and then continue to sanctify his saints until glorification. Let's pray. Father, I, um, I thank you for so much for your word. And um, I know it's, it's taught me so much uh, this week as I've been studying. Um, Lord, let us not forget that um, you call us to carry our crosses, um, that we wouldn't build our own kingdom and instead build yours um, with everything we do from either our childbearing or our giving or the way we treat one another. Um, so many things. Um, may we go this week um, and just keep that. Keep your son and his, his perfect sacrifice and let us lead um, an uncomfortable life with joy for him. It's in his name I pray. Amen.